This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Have you ever had to come to grips with the prospect of not being able to drive anymore? Or worse, have you had to deal with a loved one who should hang up the keys but is unwilling to do so? It is a hugely tough transition, a hugely difficult conversation for family members to have. And now a new study from the Conference Board of Canada suggests that a lack of alternatives is inducing some Zoomers to keep driving, even if it is no longer safe. The study also highlighted what anyone who has looked into this knows, that there are few alternatives to driving for anyone who wants to maintain their independence and their mobility. I'd like to know what you think and what your experience is. The numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to the study author, Daniel Monroe. He's the Associate Director of Public Policy for the Conference Board of Canada. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm great. Well, uh, what was the most startling thing that you found? Well, the most startling thing that we found uh, as part of this research, for me uh, in any case, uh, was a number of seniors who continue to drive even when they have some kind of physical or mental impairment. So we found, for example, that uh, one in 10 seniors, roughly one in 10 seniors with a significant vision impairment, a self-reported significant vision impairment, uh, one in 10 continued to drive. And we found that one in five seniors who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or, or dementia continue to drive. And that, for me, was rather rather striking. Well, you know, I remember studies, uh, and I remember sort of, you know, going, hmm, I wonder about that, uh, which said that someone with mild cognitive impairment can still continue to drive. That's right. And, and uh, we do have some numbers on that as well. So a number of people who have sort of mild vision, vision impairments, well, like myself, for example, um, we continue to drive. And, and uh, people with mild dementia or mild cognitive impairments continue to, continue to drive. And for the most part, they're fine. Um, no different than anyone else in the population. Uh, you know, driving requires a certain level of capacity, and uh, they seem to be fine to do that. In these two cases, these are, these are people who have a significant vision impairment, so, you know, bordering on being blind or, or a significant cognitive uh, impairment such that they get confused performing very simple day-to-day tasks. So the fact that the people with these sorts of significant impairments are continuing to drive is concerning. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, so where did it come in that, uh, that the reason or the alleged reason is that there aren't a lot of alternatives? Right. Well, I mean, the nature, the, so the structure of the problem is this, and it's quite, a, it's quite a dilemma. So, as you know, we have an aging population. Right. And we have a largely car-dependent population. 
And as that largely car-dependent population reaches those ages where physical and mental capacities begin to decline, um, and I should say that, I mean, there's obviously no cutoff age. There's no, you know, easy way to pick an age at which people are fine and, and, and not fine. Because depends on the person. Yeah, it depends on the person. Could, could start at 17, could start at 101, um, like my neighbor, for example. Um, so we, we have, nevertheless, a largely car-dependent population as a group uh, seniors and, and, and primarily older seniors tend to have uh, more likelihood of cognitive and physical decline, which, which makes it uh, less safe for them to drive. Um, the problem is that, you know, they're told or recognize that it's not safe for them to drive. Think about giving up the car keys, but find that the alternative modes of transportation, like public transit, accessible transit, and these sorts of things, um, simply aren't there for them, at least as much as they need them to be there to get to the places that, that they want to go. So this puts them in a bit of a dilemma, right? They either have to continue driving um, with declining capacity, or they have to give up traveling to some of the places that they want to go, which, as we know, can be bad for health and quality of life. Absolutely bad for health and quality of life. What about, um, I know people who have said, okay, I am going to drive uh, on city streets in daylight, but I'm not going to do any more highway driving and I'm not going to be driving at night. Right, and we, we see this as well. And, and this is um, from, from one study, part of the reason why it seems that seniors tend to have more accidents than other age groups is because those accidents, accidents are more likely to happen at those intersections on city streets um, rather than on, you know, freeways where all the traffic is driving quickly, but nevertheless in, in sort of one direction with, with few distractions and few impediments. So the fact that seniors change their driving behavior actually contributes to the likelihood that, that they will be in an accident relative to, to other groups who, who don't do these sorts of things. Um, but that's really just a, you know, I mean, for most people, that's really just a short-term fix, if it's a fix at all. What's really missing are, are those alternatives um, to get around. Uh-huh. Um, has there been any kind of study do- done or any has anyone looked at the impact of, of Uber, which I guess is cheaper than taxis, anything like that? Um, well, not, there hasn't, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a, a great deal of research on that. So, I mean, it's theoretically possible that automated vehicles or driverless vehicles, whatever you want to call them, um, can begin to be one of these alternatives. Um, and I think, and we think at the board, that that's something that we should, we should certainly get, look into. The challenge there is that we're still talking, you know, at minimum five to ten years out before it would emerge as a real uh, sustainable alternative. In the meantime, there are some options that we have that we're just not providing um, in, in ways that we probably could. Public transit with better schedules to match the needs of seniors rather than the sort of the conventional nine-to-five working population. Um, accessible transit, uh, you know, specialized transit services for people with disabilities or other impairments in, in, in getting around is, is not provided very well, especially in rural and remote communities. Yep. Um, so these are the things that, you know, are already around um, that if we provided a, a, a bit more richly um, would begin to pick up some of the problem. And, and also uh, safer walking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the one of the great alternatives to, to getting around, you know, if, if your neighborhood is properly designed, uh, is to walk. Because not only do you get to where you need to go, but you also get a little bit of exercise as well. 
Um, but as we know, some communities just aren't well designed for walking uh, or, or cycling. A number of seniors, uh, you know, like to cycle to the places that they need to be. Um, you know, in my neighborhood, for example, it's not too difficult to, to, to walk around. The sidewalks are relatively wide and the intersections are not too, uh, not, not too uh, large. But, you know, in, in parts in and around Toronto, you have intersections where an individual would have to cross, you know, seven or eight lanes of traffic in a very short period of time in order to get where they want to go. Um, and if the reason why you're walking is because driving is not really an option physically or mentally, those intersections aren't going to help either. Okay, Daniel, uh, let's take a call from Donna in Pickering. Hello, Donna. Hello, Libby. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I'm calling with regard to the um, problem seniors have. Um, back in 95, my mother, who was handicapped, relied on Wheeltrans. Right. And she lived in Toronto. And Wheeltrans, she'd make an arrangement to go to a doctor's appointment. She didn't use it for nothing. They would take her, but they wouldn't be able to bring her home. She could not walk. And I think that's ridiculous. And I understand that it still happens today, which is 20-odd years later, that they will take you somewhere but won't be able to bring you home or vice versa. I think it depends uh, on the schedule, but... True, but why would they say that to somebody who... It doesn't make sense, and at the time I found it very... My mother was a very independent person and hated to give up things. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of like throwing it back in your face that... We can get you there, but we can't get you home. Daniel, what do you have to say about, you're talking about the lack of availability of, of something like uh, Wheeltrans. Right. Well, the, the, the scheduling issues for something like Wheeltrans or, or accessible and specialized transit services, they persist. So um, <clears throat> we t- took a look at what was available on Ontario, and it turns out so, so two issues. One is that only one quarter of roughly 450 municipalities in the province even have some kind of accessible or specialized transit service. So there's, there's, there's a gap right there. Right. Um, but speaking to Donna's issue more directly is that, you know, a, a closer study of 73 systems in the province showed that almost all of them had at least, we're talking at least 50 seniors registered per vehicle in the jurisdiction, which means that, uh, you know, scheduling a ride um, can be extraordinarily extraordinarily difficult um, mm-hmm. because of because of that ratio, and so um, very unfortunate and yet not surprising that sometimes the schedules don't work out and people don't get their rides to where they want to go or get the rides um, back from from where they've been, which is you know obviously and understandably very frustrating for for seniors. The other the other thing that we ran into was. You couldn't go from Toronto to Durham or Durham to Toronto on the same vehicle. Um, you were either uh, in Toronto going around. Like, for instance, if you live in Durham and you need have an appointment downtown at Sunnybrook Hospital, you can't do that as far as I know. Well, I, I, I honestly don't know if that's still the case. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Daniel, do you know? That I have no idea. Okay, well, maybe another caller will uh, will yeah. call in because you are talking about your experience quite a while ago. But, and today, too, I know a person now who relies on Wheeltrans. They can't drive. Mm-hmm. And um, they walk wherever they can with their walker, but 
when they have appointments for doctors, it's really a problem. Yeah, I mean, we need, obviously, we need more of these services, and, and maybe we need some different kinds of alternatives. Oh, and if I, if I can, sorry, I'm saying too much here, but when you recommend things like Uber and things, some yeah. of these people are on single low incomes. I know. And it might be uh, something that's without outside their budget. Well, yeah, some, some, but obviously some are not. Um, true, true. Uh, and some some are not. So, you know, if we can't afford to provide it for everyone, uh, then, you know, at some point, you know, people who can afford to are going to have to make some think about different arrangements. Exactly. User pay. Exactly. I agree 100%. Okay. Thank you very much for your call, Donna. Thank you for my time. Thank oh, you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Bob in Brampton. Hello, Bob. Hello. Go ahead, you're on the air. Uh, What I wanted to ask about, uh, my aunt is 91, and her doctor chose to give her an in-office competency test. Right. And she didn't do good on the drawing part, because she's 91 and she has a grade 8 education. Right. But she did very good on the memory part. So he said, for now you can drive... But then we got a letter from the MTO saying she had to take a skills testing uh, exam at a skills center, uh-huh. which was three hours. It cost $500. $500? Yes. And <clears throat> she failed, and they took her on the freeway, which she never drives. And they would drive by gas station, say uh, later to her, how much was the price of gas at that gas station back there? So she failed, and now she can't drive. Uh, my question is, was this fair, and is there anything we can do, or is her license just gone? Um, just, uh, I... I'm assuming it it was fair. People over eighty are should are have to take tests every other year, every two years, and um, I don't know what you said where she she didn't do well on the drawing test. But one of the tests for dementia in, involves uh, the drawing of clocks. Yes, and if that's what she didn't do well on, then um, maybe she has some dementia that you aren't aware of. Yes, I uh, I. I, I... I'm just asking for an opinion. Uh, she always passes her test at the license office at Orangeville. No problem. But uh, I felt the doctor went a little overboard in giving her this competency test, and his reasoning was my aunt repeats herself quite a bit. Well, uh, he probably, I mean, that's a doctor's discretion. There's, I don't know what Daniel has to say. There's no way I can make a comment on it, whether it was fair or not, not being there, not knowing the people involved. But you have to assume that uh, uh, the doctor had a reason for doing it. I just, when I go to the license office, I'm an AZ driver and I have to take regular tests. I see people walking in and I just look at them and I say, you shouldn't be driving. My aunt walks well, she has control, she balances her checkbook, looks after her house, shops, all these things. And yet at the license office, some other doctor 
is letting these people drive that can barely walk, and I just wonder how that is. Okay, well, um, you know, I, I, I honestly, uh, Daniel, do you have any answer for him? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, so, so, uh, so a couple thoughts. One is that, um, you know, we've, we've, in the, in the literature that we took a look at, we, we read repeatedly that the doctors themselves, um, fi- you know, find that this process, the driver cessation uh, process, is very difficult for them, that they lack the kind of guidance that, that they'd really like to have to do this well, and that they are put in this position of, of having to make um, these decisions. So I don't, I mean, I don't know whether the, that particular decision was fair. Um, I don't know uh, whether the, uh, the, the, the decision at the, at the ministry um, through the test um, was fair. But I do sympathize with, with, with Bob's frustration, the frustration of his, of his aunt. One of the things that we find is that, um, you know, these are such difficult issues because our sense of uh, freedom and autonomy, our ability to get to places is so tied up with driving that when we're told, or even when there's a risk that, that, that we might be told that we can't drive, that that becomes a very um, emotional and, and difficult uh, difficult time and difficult thing to, to sort through. So I can't, I can't speak to whether or not, you know, things were fair in, in, in your aunt's case, um, Bob, um, but I certainly do sympathize with, with the level of frustration that, oh. that the two of you might have. Okay. Well, Bob, thank you very much for your call. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break now, but we are going to come back with more of your calls and more from Daniel Monroe on this very important subject. Before we go to break, the numbers again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am on the line with Daniel Monroe, the author of a study from the Conference Board of Canada, which says that many Zoomers keep driving even if it's no longer safe because they're is not much in the way of alternatives. And, of course, getting around uh, is the key to your social life, which is one of the most important things for your health. Um, We have a lot of callers waiting, so let's get right to it. George in Orangeville. Hello, George. Uh, Hello. I'll turn the radio off. Please. second, yes. Okay. Uh, The major point I want to make is that this process of the doctors or opticians or other people of that kind to identify people that perhaps need testing. That is fine in itself. But once the doctor has identified somebody, in my opinion, because of the experience of a friend of mine, um, the next stage of it should go over to the Ministry of Transport. They know more about driving than doctors ever will. And my friend has found that the paperwork that ensues after the the license has been suspended is enormous. And frankly, I don't think the doctors want that paperwork. It's a frustration for them. Is your friend the doctor or the person who had... No. No, no, my friend is just a driver. Yes. 89 years old. Yes. But still quite capable. Yes. But uh, he had... He, he was sent to a memory clinic, which then gave him a lower score, a low enough score 
that the doctor eventually had to send his name in to the ministry and his license was suspended. Mm-hmm. The process of getting it back is quite complex. And difficult. was he able to get it back? No, that, that, the process is still in process. And how long has it been? Oh, it's been uh, two months now. Yeah, it takes quite a while. And has he thought about what to do if he doesn't get it back? Well, you have to rely on local buses, which only operate from about 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. After that, you're dead as a dodo, other than the taxi. And in this area, taxi services, I'm sorry to say, are pretty bad. Now, what I would suggest, and I have been to my ministry my MPP locally, Mm -hmm. and she agrees, and she wants me to put something together to go to the Minister of Transport, such that when the person is identified as needing testing, it should be handed over to the MTO. Okay. The idea there is, is that the MTO should then handle it. They know about driving, but also, of course, they would need some support from some psychologic, geriatric people to, to help them. But I'm sure that overall that probably is cheaper than dealing through the doctor's office because once there, my friend got involved with all kinds of nurses and such like that, handled this and handled that. And you don't know what's going on. It's a very uh, frustrating experience. I'm sure it is. Thanks for your call, George. Now, can I offer one other? Uh, let's go to Sandra in Milton. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Libby and Daniel. Uh, I'm calling in response to the lady that called a few calls ago about the wheel service. Mm-hmm. My mother is 95. Right. And she's been using wheel-trans for the last, oh, three or four years, maybe five now. Um, she, what she does, and there's never been a problem, at the time of booking her outbound trip, which is normally in Toronto, uh, within Toronto, uh, she can book again at the same time for the return trip home. Now, she is a very flexible person, and she books, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour before her when she really wants to be picked up, and the same for the part where she returns home. If she's at the doctor's office and she's finished earlier, she knows that she will wait perhaps for another half hour for the return, not the same driver, not the same cab. Um, But that's how that is working right now. For her. As far as the um, going beyond the borders of Toronto... I did read the package of information a while ago, so I can't give you too many details, but it can be arranged that, say you go to Mississauga, when you meet the Mississauga uh, border, (laughs) so to speak, the Mississauga similar wheel trans will also continue your journey. But I don't know, I can't remember who coordinates this, whether she would have had to She's never used it, but um, uh, whether it's between the wheel trans in Toronto connecting with the, the wheel trans or whatever they call it in Mississauga, yeah, well, it's to, it's to make a connection. It's more. pretty complicated, I guess. Is the point? I don't know. <laughs> but Thanks. It was all laid out in the uh, information yeah. that wheel trans sent her um, okay. when she uh, first applied and and uh, got the the deal, and she she finds it very. She's never driven, so. Uh, 
up until her early 90s, uh, she was quite willing to walk to a bus or, you know, but uh, complications have happened. And um, and she gets out to Milton on the go bus. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we've got Joan in Burlington. Hello, Joan. Hi. <clears throat> My husband, was, uh, he was driving until he was 92 years old. Yeah. And it got to the point where we would go somewhere and you say, oh, which way do I go? Where am I going? So my daughter reported it to his eye doctor and he subsequently had his license taken away from him. Yep. I stopped driving about that time simply because, let's face it, as you get older, your eyesight goes or it's beginning to go, your reflexes are not as sharp. And I find now if my one of my kids can't take me to an appointment... It's cheaper to go by cab. It, it's um, a lot cheaper than owning a car nowadays. Uh, that's that's true. If uh, depending on what your schedule is, you're you're right. A lot of people are finding that it's cheaper than owning a car. But I guess people don't necessarily think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I must think of the insurance every a year. Then you got the cost the cost of the gasoline and the upkeep of the car and everything else. For me, living here in Burlington, it is much cheaper to take a cab. I walk to my grocery store, uh, weather permitting, you know, if it's not icy. I do all that walking, but my doctor's office is uh, about a 15-minute drive from here, so I take a cab. You know what? Uh, That's a a very interesting perspective, and I hope that people are listening. They take into account the cost of of owning and operating a car, and it can be cheaper to take a a taxi or to take an Uber. Joan, thank you very much for that. Incidentally, I have an account with the cab company, and I get a 10% discount. That's that's good. That's even better. (laughs) That's even better. Thank you very much for that. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to try to get in a few more calls uh, before we have to uh, switch gears. Uh, Daniel, do you have any perspective on that? Do you find that people don't take into account the cost of operating their car? Well, yeah, I think I think the last the last couple of of, of callers are, are highlighting uh, one of the issues that we found, which is so in some cases there are alternatives available. They're not they're not always available to everyone, but in some cases. You know, people will have those alternatives available. The difference about whether or not they use them and whether or not they use them effectively tends to depend a lot on how well informed they are. So as part of that driver cessation process, one of the things, you know, one of the things that get people get sort of most heated about is whether the license is taken away and whether it's taken away fairly. Um, but what we hear less about, but which is no less important, is actually helping people understand what options are available, um, how to use them, and, and, and what makes sense. And we see, in fact, that people who throughout their lives, um, you know, like Joan, who, who have familiarity with using a bus or, or, or taking taxis, they have a much easier time when they give up driving. Um, because yeah, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's a mindset, because when you drive your own car, you go where you want, when you want. You don't have to make arrangements. Right. Okay, uh, let's try to pack in uh, uh, another couple of calls. We've got Natalie in Mississauga. Hello, Ma- Natalie. Hi, Libby. Um, uh, I just wanted to share a few stories. I um, recently lost my grandmother and my great-uncle, who lived to be more than 90, and both of them maintained their licenses until they were well into their 90s. Um, and my personal feeling, because I drove with them both around that time, is that they had no business having their license. Yet, like you said, after a certain age, they have to go back and get tested. So they were going 
you know, through all of these things, yet they still have their licenses. So even though I'm, I'm sad to hear that some people are disappointed that they get their licenses taken away, I feel like sometimes we don't do it enough. <laughs> and it, they lived in different places. You know, my grandmother was in Barrie and my uncle was in Kitchener. Um, you know, but they're kind of the generation that comes before Zoomers. So if we're talking about, you know, Zoomers and Zoomer boomers, um, you know, my parents, they're in their 60s now. And I feel like this generation, you know, they like their cars, they like their homes, and they're not ready to talk about or think about, you know, end-of-life planning. And I don't know who's responsible for that, but I think, you know, Joan is coming from a community where, you know, she clearly lives and she can walk places. And, um, you know, we costed it for my grandmother even, you know, she got rid of her car, stopped having to pay insurance, you know, and just took cabs. It was cheaper. But are people really ready for this? I don't know. You know, you don't want to be in your 70s or 80s, have your license taken away and not be prepared for life without a car. Well, so when should you start thinking about it? Well, uh, you know, I, I, that's a good point, uh, planning for it. Uh, you know, I I think that's a good point that, that also if you add up some of the costs of owning a car, it's going to be the, the same as, as, t- uh, as taking a cab or taking your Uber and if that's in your budget. But I, I think also when you're talking about the generation before boomers, you know, they would look at a taxi as some kind of, you know, wild luxury. Probably. And yeah. and, and maybe right. a waste of money. Um, so I, I think you're I think a lot of it is, is uh, an attitude. Um, Natalie, uh, thank you very much for your call. And I am going to try to take um, one more. Uh, thanks a lot, Natalie. Okay, thank you. Have a bye bye. You too. Okay, Tulip in Toronto. Hi, Tulip. Hi. How are you? Fine, uh, thanks. It's Liddy. Yes. Oh, Libby Zimmer. And uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the lady that uh, referred to the lady who has uh, a 91 year old mother and the mother that cannot. Uh, can go to the doctor by wheelchair, but cannot get back. Now, I I don't think that maybe she's, um, she, I think she's being misunderstood because I've been with wheelchair now for almost 20 years and I have never had that complication. My son, I'm 86 years old, my son phones me or goes on the computer for me because before I had very uh, a lot of difficulty getting through to wheelchair, she had to wait for ages. But since my son has been going on the computer, he would book for me to go to the doctor, and he'll book what time I have to be there and what time he would like to be back. And uh, they never, never once did they refuse to bring me back. They, they would send, it, of course, a different care to, to, to bring me back. But I even go do my shopping. I, 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 I can book for two, three hours what, as long as I want to. But I think Will Champs is being misunderstood by that lady. Okay, you know what? Thank you for bringing that up, and thanks for your call, Tulip. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, uh, and just to wrap up with Daniel, bye-bye, Tulip. Goodbye. Uh, yeah, I think that, that maybe, uh, you know, you brought up a very good point, and that is that people aren't completely aware of their alternatives and how to use them. And Tulip was saying that her son books it online, so some people might need help booking it properly. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, I think that, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, as I said, the, 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 the one issue is having alternatives available. The other issue is, is actually learning how to use them or having somebody um, help you to use them. Just to add on to that, though, I mean, there's one thing that, uh, that you sort of alluded to throughout um, this, this sort of mindset issue. 
Um, you know, even as we talk about the alternatives, whether it's public transit or accessible transit or something like that, we, we still have to confront the fact that the people who are giving up driving, um, you know, they, they're really losing this opportunity to just get up and go whenever they want, right? Um, it, it is one thing to be able to book, uh, you know, an accessible service um, or something like that, uh, or to talk to a family member and ask if they can and take you somewhere. But there is that real loss of autonomy that comes with, with giving up driving. Sometimes people just want to drive for the sake of driving or go when they want to go. Um, and I don't know what the answer is to that, but recognizing you know, that there is that loss of autonomy involved, there is that sense of, of, of loss of freedom, um, should make us more sensitive about the conversations that we have to have about, about this process. Okay. Well, Daniel Monroe, thank you so much uh, for that fascinating conversation. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.